Welcome to the Soulful CXO, where we discuss leadership principles, core values, health, wellness, and resiliency. I'm Dr. Rebecca Wynn, the founder and the host of the show. Do you have a topic or guest you would like to be featured on the show? Would you like to be a sponsor? Please reach out to me on LinkedIn or email me at Rebecca at SoulfulCXO.com. Please go to our partner, Cybersecurity Tribe, for weekly show recaps and other resources. Listen and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Now sit back and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Soulful CXO. I'm your host, Dr. Rebecca Wynn, and we are so pleased to have with us today, Lisa Rangel. Lisa is the founder and CEO of Chameleon Resumes, which has been named Forbes' top website and is prepared for a career website, I should say, and it's premier executive writing firm. She's also the founder and CEO of Job Landing Academy. If you don't know what that is, that is definitely the most go-to place for free resources and, and how to find a career, how to get a career, and how to sustain a career. She's the longest-running LinkedIn premier career group moderator for over eight years. And during that tenure, she moved the group from 100,000 to well over 2 million. And she's actively on there as well, too, as you can see her all the time. She's regularly featured on Forbes, Newsweek, Fast Company, Business Insider, LinkedIn, BBC, CNBC, Good News America, Fox News, CIO, Time, Investors, Business Daily, Cranes, New York, Chicago Tribune, U.S. News and Report. And those are just to name a few. She's globally in over, over 88 countries, probably like 100 countries by now. And she's featured and quoted in well over 200 publications. So just Google her and you're going to find her. She's a published author of well over 16 books and series, including the September 2020 release of The Job Landing Mindset, How to Shift Your Mindset and Land Your Dream Job. She's widely acclaimed Get Hired Fast Landing Training Series, as well used by many people around the world, including myself. She's won numerous awards, recognitions, well-known to be the go-to person for organizations, senior leadership, VPs, executives about what's happening in human resources, people, trends, just good old great insights and advice. And our team at her company is just all the same way. Lisa, my friend, my sanity buddy, (laughs) welcome to the show. Well, thank you. I don't know how I could follow that, but you're hired. Thank you. Lisa, just for the people who don't know you, I mean, you and I clicked the very first second we, we met years ago. And one of the things is just your mission in life and how you are as a human really resonates through your whole career and everything you've done. Can you share that with everybody and how important it is really to find your passion? You know, I just think it's really important to be happy at work, but more importantly, because that may sound more, that may sound a little too foo-foo or idealistic, but I really think it's important for people not to be miserable at work. And I think that, you know, I find it is my, my, my mission for people to find a fulfilling, well-paying job. And, you know, every fulfilling, well-paying job that someone finds, you know, we're going to make the world a better place. One of those types of finds at a time. So, you know, I just like working with people to help them figure out like what activities they want to do in their day, what what they don't want to do in their day, and then try to structure the job landing plan that will help them find the job that will complement their life. You know, I'm a, I hired a coach years ago, I'd say now almost 12, 13 years ago. Her name's Command Curtin. She's the Wall Street coach. It's her business. And, you know, she, I remember our first call, she asked me, is your life support your work or does your work support your life? And I I literally remember the call where 
it was like almost like a not to date myself but like a, a needle on a record i was like Rrr! like totally did not register <laughs> like those separations and i did not know or didn't realize that your work can support your life because i was absolutely a life supported my work kind of person up till then so you know, she kind of showed me the way with the work she did with me. It's what I do and our team does with the work, you know, we do with our clients. Like it's, you're going to get rejection. You got to keep going out there. You got, you got to keep putting yourself out there, but the rejection is not bad. The rejection is actually getting you closer to the path of finding that that job is, that's going to help you have a cohesive life, which is non-miserable work, right? Fulfilling work that's well-paying and so allows you to have a great life. So that's that's our mission. I know when you and I met years ago, I told you I felt like I had a Jackson Pollock uh, image <laughs> in my head all the time. And I just, and one of the things was, is when we talked about it was just like, just get unplugged. Really you just need to get unplugged, get unplugged from everything and just find out who you are at your core again. And I, I know I told you at the time I was doing Venn diagrams as well too, which right. for me just to go read a book at times and just get unplugged. But how do you suggest that people find again who their authentic self is? Because we talk about that quite a bit, you and I, about finding your authentic self to really find your bliss, your happiness, and then start looking at what type of companies you would better align with. Because right now it's usually a spray and pray method is what I call it. Let's right. SMAs out there all over the place. And I hope to land a job and then you're, you're spinning back out because you're not, you're not lining who you are as a core and authentic person to a company that better aligns with you. How do you work through that with people? Yeah. You know, there's a, it's, I wouldn't say that it's a, a specific process. It would be really great from a marketing angle to say, here's the step process to help you find your way, your bliss, your passion, and the work that's going to make you fulfilled. But I think I mean, for me, the way I found it was I just started doing what was in front of me that I was good at and made me happy to do. You know, I think sometimes when we're when we start to get into that, you know, 20 plus year experience level, we're really most of us blessed at doing things really well and do many things really well. And I think what we and we're so used to just doing what we can do that we forget to ask ourselves, do I even want to do this anymore? And there might be some things that are on our resume that we are amazing at, or that we are completely proud of doing, or that we've done. But when we really do a gut check and take a minute to think about it, we don't really want to do it anymore. And we don't want to get hired to do that anymore, even if it was amazing, right? And I think we've, many of us have been raised, groomed, you know, whatever word you want to use, trained, that if you can, you do. And and sometimes I think you have to evaluate just because you can doesn't mean you have to do, especially if it doesn't make you happy anymore. And so for me, I just started doing what was in front of me, the opportunities that were in front of me. And if they made me happy, in addition to it being something that I had a talent at, then I was like, well, maybe this is for today, the path, you know? And and I'd say from, you know, when I was laid off in 2009 and I was really good at doing resumes, like they were very intuitive for me. I had done them as recruit as a recruiter for 13 years. When you're not, as a third party recruiter, we're told and trained, we're not supposed to be doing resumes for people we can't place because it's a waste of time and essentially not to sound crude, but we're on commission. We have to focus on packaging the people that we can place because the people we can place get us fees. And so I didn't really listen to that a lot. <laughs> you know, if I 
even if I couldn't place somebody, I felt bad if I couldn't help them or if I saw the blaring thing that was hurting them, I had to fix it. And so admittedly, it didn't take me a lot of time, but I can see that it made a big difference. And so when I was laid off in 2009, I was like, you know, I think I can do this for now. And which was a big decision to make because I was the breadwinner. My husband was a stay-at-home dad with our kids for six years. So it's not like I had, you know, a breadwinning income to depend on. And I didn't even have a second income to depend on. It was, you know, this was like, I was just burnt out on recruiting. This was what I was good at. I could make a difference. And at the time I wasn't making breadwinning cash doing it, but I just figured, you know what, for now it's fine and I'll figure it out. I just kept doing what I was good at that made me happy. And then eventually after about doing it for a year and a half, you know, I was like, I can do this as a business. And, you know, we did, you know, when I say we, my husband backed me up and he started a business at the same time doing something different. My business chameleon resumes were really more in the job landing business, so to speak, and all the things you need to do and have marketing documents and job landing tactic training and interview prep and salary negotiation. So that's really the core of our business. We're not necessarily in the help you figure out what you want to grow up business, but we do some of that residually just because you have to kind of have a direction in order to do the the work that we are you know born to do, so to speak. So that's usually my advice to people. And there are diagnostic tests and career coaches that I always refer people to if they need more formalized career coaching, you know, exploratory process, but sometimes just a few conversations and then just talking to other people, you know, just putting yourself out there and having exploratory conversations and being very strategic about who you have conversations with to figure out things that you like to do and don't want to do and can also work as well. And that's essentially what what I do, what I did. And it's what we encourage clients to do when they come to us knowing they don't want to give up everything they've ever done, but they're just not sure where to apply it. I'm like, go start talking to people and be really strategic and methodical about it. I think people forget that even people who they look to mentor, mentors have mentors. And I know I've, I've hooked up with you before where I'm like, I'm not exactly sure what, where I want to go and what my directions want to be. And I know right. you hooked me up before with with career coaches just to kind of work work it through, just to have those discussions with people who are who can have that independent third eye, but have it from a you know a professional type level. And people need to remember that. Yeah. And even beyond like the career professionals, you know, career coaches, people like me, it's, you know, other other CISOs or, you know, vendors that CISOs deal with? How do they interact with other IT leadership? And I'm just saying IT just based on what you do. I can take that X, right? The CXO, talk to senior level vendors, talk to senior level clients, talk to the senior level people in your industry, people in your profession, your complementary leaders around the board table, around the executive committee table. So not just your profession, but just your peers, ask them what, how they figured out what they want to do, how they found the industry that they're in, what struggles they've had, how were they ever lost? what they do about it? And when you just start talking to other people that are either directly related, competing, you know, obviously with all, you know, NDAs intact and things like that, you know, or supporting your industry or profession, you really start to learn about things that you didn't even know you didn't know. And it's that exploratory conversation that starts to put you on a path of either figuring out something you want to do that you knew of, that you already had, you just didn't know it. Now you have conviction, or you might figure out something you that you want to do that you didn't even know existed, 
Or you may get out of a conversation, hell no, I don't want to do that ever again. And that's still really good information. It's just being on quest. And I think sometimes we have to be okay with not knowing. And we may take some time to figure it out. It may take a month. It may take eight months. It may take eight days. You know what I mean? I think we're so prone to knowing the answer. And I blame maybe the Staples easy button for this, but we're so used to having instant responses or instant knowledge with a Google search. We have forgotten how to not know and be okay with it. And it's in that not knowing and just sitting with it and exploring and having conversations to learn, that's where we really find the direction. And so it's hard to say, you know, like have five conversations and boom, you will have your direction. You know, I would love that from a marketing formulaic <laughs> promotion standpoint, that, that would be amazing, but it just doesn't work that way. You know, it's a process that has to take the time that it needs to take. And it's different for everybody. One of the things is that's been proliferant on LinkedIn, if you read any any second, I know you and I have passed oodles of emails back and forth on it, just like, did you see this? Right. Is illustration that people who are looking for a job are mm-hmm. finding a job because you're like, do you guys even know what you guys want? A lot of times, even the interviews aren't even structured, and it almost seems like they don't know what they want, and it's really kind right. of trying to answer questions. And on the same time, when you're trying to find that right job, it's kind of hard when the company doesn't know what they want. So for the people out there who are looking for candidates, how would you tell them that, you know, I, I'd be honest with you, I think the HR system's broken because they don't even know what they're looking for out there in the candidate. What words of wisdom can you give them? You know, to, it's, to it's, it's really hard. And that's a really great question that I wish I had the answer to. But, you know, I, I've been hired three times in my career where there wasn't a job description. And, you know, the, the, the company met me, well, two, one time it was internal. So two times they met me and realized they had a need that wasn't really documented that I could address, fix, you know, capitalize on the challenge, fix the problem. And then one time was internal. And so I proposed myself for a job that didn't exist initially. And so because we've become so, you know, in love with process, right? And I'm not saying process is bad. It's clearly good, but sometimes it can downplay an intuitive notion of how something needs to come together. And that's why to me, the the conversation, the exploratory conversation is really important because a company really may not know what they need, or they they know what they need. And then as soon as they meet someone and they have a really robust conversation about what opportunities can be capitalized upon or what problems truly exist versus the ones they thought they exist and how they can, this person can fix them, then that can evolve, right? So that hiring process or experience can evolve. And it doesn't mean that the company was inconsistent or all the negative things you can think you can term that kind of process. Sometimes it's just being opportunistic and realizing that candidate did a good job of really shining the light on a, a true a truer problem or a bigger problem and that sort of thing. So I think that companies, what they really need to do is simply be more communicative when it isn't going to work with a candidate, because if people just had human closure to things, that would really alleviate a lot of the problems we have with the hiring process. But it's also a voluminous process in defense of the recruiter too. So I do agree with you in some ways it is broken. The problem exists on both sides. I think the candidate has to 
realize that sometimes, especially early on in the process, they may not get responses of closure. They absolutely should be getting them later on in the process. But sometimes the process can evolve in a direction that nobody anticipated and it's not bad. It doesn't mean the company didn't have clarity. It doesn't mean the company didn't have vision. It means, frankly, they're flexible enough to see that there is a better way if that process morphs and changes into something different and the higher becomes different. So I didn't really come up with a solution to your question, to be honest, but it is, it's an amorphous process and trying to systematize what should be in also an intuitive amorphous process sometimes in order to come up with the best result, I think is part of the problem too. I think one of the things is like you mentioned that people get frustrated with is just not having a professionalism on the other side to close that loop. And that's a whole different issue, right? That's a whole different issue. And that could, that can happen with clarity, with process, with amorphous intuition can happen. Professionalism can happen in any of those types of conversations. And sometimes it, and many times it doesn't. And that's really the bigger issue with people feeling negative about it. Do you think there's a benefit to having not everything to be so structured. From a compliance standpoint, every candidate needs to be treated the same way and you have to have compliance. And I'm all for that part of it and fairness, equanimity and equality and the whole thing. But it's just sometimes, you know, people have a dynamic that shouldn't be squashed either because that's where the innovation comes. That's where the ideas come from. And if that in turn makes the hiring process go in a different direction, I don't think that's necessarily bad. The key is then to just evaluate all the candidates that came before you to see if they meet that new standard. When I actually talk to other CIOs, CTOs, and and people really in technology, that's the big frustration right now is that when we're going into interviews or people going into interviews, that there's not, doesn't seem to be a structure. And there's 12 or 15 rounds. And then when we don't, we do talk to each other. We're like, I was not asked that. I wasn't asked that. And that's, when you talk about fairness and making sure that people line up or if we change, do we go back and see if these people have this criteria? I think that's one thing is we're not set up when we're leaders, at least I never have. It's like, by the way, here is how we do conduct an interview. These are the type of things that we need to make sure. Right. I've had two places that I've worked that we had checklists that we had to go through to try to make sure that every candidate was treated the same way as best as you possibly could human-wise. Mm-hmm. And then they all got asked exact same questions. So then they had fairness. What do you recommend on that? Because it's not happening out there right now. I think having the checklist and the guidance, that's a responsibility of the employer to at least do their best of making sure that each candidate is treated as equally as possible. The bottom line is this is run by humans, even with automation and even with technology, helping with a search function or being able to accumulate the applications in a way that a human being doing manually couldn't do. Obviously, technology is a part of the support structure of this whole process, but ultimately things either set by a human or done by a human, right? So currently it is flawed. So just because we are flawed people and we will never be 100% consistent, it's just not the way we are. I know that was addressing the, the equality part of it. The initial question, Rebecca, if you can help me. We're not trained as interviewers. And a lot of times the people are not interviewing candidate to candidate. And so you don't know that the person you just interviewed might've had those qualities that right. you asked in the second candidate, but you didn't ask the first. Yeah. And I think like you mentioned, the checklists and whatnot can, can help, but I think it's, there's just always, I think there has to be a degree of acceptance that it's never going to be perfect. 
And that's where the candidate also needs to take responsibility. I don't want to say be responsible, but at least take responsibility for ensuring that if they have three to five points that they want to make sure are conveyed in an interview, weave them into an answer or politely interrupt a question, make sure that it happens. And I think when you go into an interview, treating it like it is a meeting of peers, trying to make sure this is a business deal that should happen between two entities versus this subservient, subliminally subservient boss candidate approval, seeking approval kind of dynamic. If you go into it in that latter way, you may wait to be given the opportunity to make that point that you want to be made. But if you at least go into it like a business deal and you approach it as a point of equals, then you can at least assure that you will get your points across. Of course, that will never alleviate if certain questions are asked of one candidate and not of another, because you can't control that. You won't even know. But I think making sure that you are taking responsibility as the candidate for conveying what you need to be conveyed about yourself and your candidacy and your value, regardless of how well or poor the interviewer conducts themselves, I think that can alleviate things. If you're not asked certain questions, but other candidates are just based on maybe the nature of the respective conversations. I mean, there's nothing anybody can do about that, right? Sometimes you got to put that to the universe. (laughs) Maybe it wasn't the right place for you. But on the flip side, if you can at least take responsibility for your end of it and, and not wait for somebody to give you permission to articulate what you need to articulate, then at least you have a fighting chance. I think that's real important. Try and get your points across, but also make sure that you're interviewing them. Mm -hmm. You should want them as much as they want you. And if they're not wanting you, then like you said, you need to move on. It's not the right place for you. I think that's a great point. Yeah. And, and I think, and the other thing too, and this is actually, I think the point I forgot about that I now remember what I was trying to make is companies, everything is moving so fast and in so many ways in an unpredictable manner. And forecasts are, you know, a joke nowadays, right? I mean, that when they're interviewing candidates, they're seeing a certain skill set, but then they're like, well, if it goes in this direction, this person's skill set will be great. But if they go in this direction, this person's skill set may not be the best suit. So they're looking for someone who can be versatile, who can pivot. And articulating that on that ability on an interview is really a new, you know, phenomenon in the last couple of years for, for most people. I mean, there's certain levels and certain positions that have been doing that kind of interviewing since the beginning of it being a thing decades ago at that level. But I'd say for it to start for that type of interviewing is now happening at the mid-level, at the staff level, everybody's got to pivot and everybody's got to be okay with uncertainty. And everybody's got to show how they handled uncertainty over the last 18 months, if not longer. But the people who did it for longer are a really small group of people. This is now a way to interview for that everyone has to embrace. I mean, including, you know, like my high school and college age kids, whereas that wasn't the case before. And I think that's the new, that's really the new thing. We have to demonstrate that we are comfortable with ambiguity, that we can pivot within uncertainty and still most of the time make something out of it that's positive. And we have to be able to talk vulnerably and diplomatically about our failures because Lord knows we all got them and anybody not talking about them 
in a vulnerable diplomatic manner is frankly just lying. And that's not sending a great message either to that prospective employer because they want someone to be able to be forthcoming with them about the situation in a pragmatic manner and not hide anything. So, you know, I think that's a new way of interviewing for most people. I've been preaching that for years about the person I believe who interviews in a vulnerable diplomatic manner with all other things being equal amongst candidates to me wins because the employer's like, I can deal with this person. When the crap hits the fan, I know they're going to be straight with me. That's what anybody wants in a job, right? So I think that type of interviewing is necessary in a mainstream capacity now because every level in an organization is uncertain, you know, ambiguous, and everybody's got to deal with it. That's great. Lisa, our time has unfortunately flown by. <laughs> How do people get a hold of you on by using your company or having you speak or writing? How do they follow you? I know you're on YouTube and some places like that. What's the best way to do that? So I, I'd say the best way is LinkedIn to find me and reach out to me on LinkedIn. You can also go to the website. We You can schedule a call, call us directly from the website, chameleonresumes.com. And my email address is lr at chameleonresumes.com. So always, I read and reply to every email. Even if I can't help, I'll always find you someone who can. That's also where they can get your resources, your books, things along those lines. All your links are there on the website as well, correct? Absolutely. Well, Lisa, thank you for being on the show. You are a soulful CXO. Mm-hmm.